thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings primal alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making primal living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. Wow, episode 21. I can't believe it. It's incredible. I'm so glad that you're here, podcast listener. How has your Christmas period been? Hope you've had a really nice um, Christmas of connection, good food, and after all of that mentalness of getting things ready, I hope you found a time to either sit down with a nice book, watch a movie with the kids, sunbathe, go for a swim in the ocean, have a nap. Anyway, whatever it is, I hope you found a little corner of space and time for you. So not long now until the new year. In fact, you might even be listening to this in 2018. How was your 2017? I'd love to know. Come and join us in the Primal Alternative um, Community Facebook group. Um, we have daily themes in there, everything around living a primal lifestyle. Um, I'd love you to come and join us there and tell us about your year in 2017. 2017 has been incredible for me and Primal Alternative. Um, on Boxing Day, um, we celebrated the one-year anniversary since I launched the, the website and launched the baking franchise. And since then, in a year, 19 amazing women have joined up to be Primal Alternative producers, bringing grain-free, homemade, nutrient-dense deliciousness to their communities and really making a difference to um, people in their community. So, you know, when you are restricted in terms of what you can eat, it's so nice to be able to pick up something from the from the shop that you haven't had to make from scratch and knowing that it's made by someone who's got a similar passion to you um, and really just fills that gap between it being too hard and it being doable and something you can stick to because really that's what it's all about, right? We're not into this boom and bust thing. That's so 90s. What we're looking for is um, a healthy lifestyle that really nourishes us but lets us let our hair down, have a bit of fun and it's something that we can do for the long term. Now, if you have felt a little bit like you've got a little bit off track over the uh, Christmas break, just know that that is so normal. It's human nature to get away with as much as possible. And maybe you nudged the chocolate a little bit or you had too many shampoos or too much Stilton or port or whatever you had. And that's all right because there is no failure, only feedback, right? And guess what? You can make a difference and get back on track with the next meal, you know? It doesn't mean just because you got a little bit tipsy the work party that that's you done for the whole of the summer or the winter, depending where you are. <laughs> you know, you can bring it back. You can't undo all of your good work just in, in one day. So be easy on yourself, be gentle. If you're feeling like you'd like a bit of a reset and a little bit of inspiration, um, 
come and join the 21 day challenge that's starting um at the beginning of february i'll put the link in the in the show notes here um and that's just a beautiful um three-week journey with other women where we focus on um, foods that nourish and give you really nice, clean energy. We focus on, you know, slowing life down, having more reverence, um, getting out in nature, connecting with real people in in the real world. We declutter, we get rid of some of that you know, comparisonitis crap. We declutter your email box. It's a really nice reset. I love doing them every quarter. Just to have that reset, you know, you get new recipe inspiration. Um, and just, yeah, you find something else just gives you that chance just to work on whatever it is that you need just a little bit of extra focus on. So check it out. So in this episode today, I interview my naturopath and friend now, Ray Bom. <laughs> I've worked with Ray for many years um, now, and it was Ray that I went to initially when I first went paleo, and I really did need a little bit of adrenal support and um, gut healing support when I transitioned from my standard Australian diet and um, excessive workouts that were basically making me sick and tired all the time um, and been re- working with Ray intensively over the last six months um, as I've had hypothyroidism. Um, my, hy- my thyroid was really, um, really slow and I had a reverse T3 problem which have managed to um, get rid of that which is incredible and my thyroid um, has really improved just by slowing life down a little bit more getting rid of the chlorine that was in my spa, which was a biggie, I reckon, and also from taking some basic supplements like selenium, iron, magnesium, and some tonics for the liver um, and for the adrenals and for the thyroid. Obviously, everyone's different, so I'm not suggesting you need to go out and order those things from your um, naturopath, but um, I've done an amazing uh, podcast episode with Elle Russ about thyroid health, and in there, that's definitely worth listening to for any woman, especially if you have any feelings of being fat, foggy, or fatigued, check out your thyroid, but don't just get your TSH measured, which is what the doctors go by, there's a lot more um, that you need to do and look into. So go back um, in the saved episodes and, and check that one out with Elros. So let's get into the episode with Ray. It was so cool for me to chat to her because, you know, she knows all about me, right, right from like what I eat and what time I go to bed and what my poo's like, but I didn't know anything about Ray. So this episode was really cool for me to find out a little bit more about the woman who's helped me so much with getting my health back. Welcome to the podcast. Today I am joined by a big hero in my personal health journey and personal friend, Ray Powers. Ray is a naturopath and she has a clinic here in Denmark and she's also advising naturopath to the healthy chef, Teresa Cutter. So yay, thanks for being on the podcast, Ray. Oh, thanks so much, Helen. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> it's a pleasure and an, and an honour to have you here. Um, now, I'm so interested, obviously you know lots about me, but I don't know anything about you, and I'm so interested to find out your story um, and you know how you got to your um, healthy life now. So if we could start off you know, in the past, like how did your life look before you came to your paleo-ish way of eating? 
Yeah, sure. Well, I think probably um, the most interesting, I guess, standout time is um, where I interestingly thought that I was at my healthiest. So that was at my sort of between sort of 18 and 20 um, when I was a student, um, a student studying science, studying sport, studying health and nutrition. Um, and at the time I was a triathlete as well. So, you know, I guess I could be seen as a fairly healthy person. I assumed I was quite healthy. I was really fit. Studying sport, studying health, like I should have known a lot. But this is, I guess, mid-90s. And so back there it was all about fat-free, fat-free. Um, you know, there was that was sort of the time that power bars evolved. It was as long as it was fat free, it was fine, and it was that was energy. So, um, so life back then, I was um, so I was studying, um, I was training, and I was working um, in a sports shop, um, and also at a at a health centre um, with a lot of other like minded athletes and students and so we thought we were pretty healthy um and i look at what we ate now and it was pretty atrocious you know and we used to go on big long rides and then we'd stop off and stop at a bakery and get a huge ice bun and you know and that was you could eat as much as you like because it was fat free um and that was sort of you know how we how we were living and we there was it never occurred to us that that was not a healthy way to live um, or, or, or be. Um, and, you know, I think back now we were, you know, we would be working on the, um, shop for, on the shop floor at this sports shop and our pockets were filled with lollies, you know, because we were just, you know, fueled with, and it fat-free, so we were fueling ourselves with energy and we had, you know, a, um, a training session to do, which we would constantly have to, feed ourselves on sugar to get through it. So um, then that's, you know, I was educated and and not just educated, um, not just an educated person, but educated, being educated in health and nutrition and science. So, um, and that is what at the time the science was telling us, you know, was really you just avoid fat, eat by the food pyramid, lots and lots of grains, lots and lots of carbs, and um, that's... That was how I ate. Um, and, you know, I, I was brought up, um, you know, I guess I'd say a, a healthy um, household in terms of we were all pretty fit. Um, Mum made all our meals at home. But I think we, yeah, sugar was a, was a big thing at home and never sort of packaged foods or lollies or soft drinks, but people used to sort of comment they come to our house for dinner. They love coming to the to the Collis household because it was never just one dessert. There was always two. My mum was a big dessert baker and there was always cupcakes. And there was always biscuits. So we sort of just, you know, we were constantly hungry and we just constantly ate, but that was okay because we were, we were active. So, you know, we had lots of sugar. So I guess... Um, you know, I went through um, my years studying sports science and, and then came out and then really still had a good interest in nutrition. So I went on and studied um, nutrition at another university, um, looking at doing dietetics. But, um, yeah, I guess at that point the idea of becoming a dietitian where I knew based on, on the curriculum then that, you know, I was going to be telling diabetics in hospital that, 
you know, their, their food plan to get well was diabetic ice cream and diabetic jelly and, you know, and, and just that's where it sort of didn't, didn't sit so well. So, um, yes, it was after that, I'm trying to think at the point where I discovered um, natural medicine um, and my mum was actually um, diagnosed with cancer. So that was probably um, a bit of a turning point because she... Um, as part of her sort of recovery plan, she went through a, a group which um, offered this little course where every week you'd have someone different um, come and talk to them. And so there was sort of meditation and mindfulness and exercise and nutrition. And they had an um, integrative doctor come and talk. Who was, he was a doctor and a naturopath. And so, oh, naturopath, what's a the naturopath do. Yeah, so that's mean? where I started. Um, and, you know, and uh, there was a homeopath. I'd never heard of homeopathy. So um, so that was all very new. And, and I guess um, I then started um, looking into herbal medicine, reading more books about herbal medicine, and that sort of led me to start studying naturopathy. So it was quite a sort of a long-winded um, journey. And I guess still at that stage I was studying naturopathy and, you know, I can't say I was healthy. I thought I was healthy, but for what I know now, you know, the, the paleo was never, you know, it, that's, yeah, that was quite a while ago. It's about 15 years ago. So that was never really part of our learning. Um, we learned about quinoa and we learned about brown rice and white rice. And, mm -hmm. and then we just learned about vitamins and nutrition and, you know, sorry, vitamins and, and nutritional supplements and, and, you know, herbal medicine. So um, to, to sort of then get onto more paleo or primal eating, it's, um, I probably came across that more after a few years of studying and going to a, um, a seminar over east where um, Lorraine Cordain was speaking and so that was a real, you know, him talking about this sort of primal paleo style of eating um, and its relationship to disease and it. I just remember feeling like it, you know, you can get so bombarded with all of this information and all these different diets and all these different foods you should eat and shouldn't eat and then you should eat and then you find out you shouldn't eat it. And, <laughs> and this just brought it, yeah, it brought it right back to the, the basics of, you know, it was that real moment of that's what health is all about. Um, you know, getting back to basic nutrition, it makes so much sense. Um, you know, really sort of um, took us away from just getting bogged down on food labels and what the panel says and, you know, all these numbers um, to, to just, you know, yeah, I guess it's that whole analogy of pulling ourselves back from that centre of the supermarket to the outside and, you know, we don't look for a, a food panel on, you know, meat and, and bananas and, you know, but we know yeah. they're healthy. So, yeah, yeah so that's... Um, it's, there was never a real moment of eating, I guess, more in a paleo or primal way, um, but that's that's really that more the direction I've I've taken now, and I guess I'm yeah sort of under that paleo umbrella, so to speak, um, without being strictly paleo. Yeah, nice. I like that. So your journey to a paleo-ish way of living, um, it was an evolution. Can you remember um, how you felt as in your sugar-burning athlete days? I mean, you, you say you were active. Did you, did you feel, were you just one of those 
um, lucky people that managed to get away with that way of living or did you have you know issues that when you look back on with your um, with with your paleo hindsight goggles on you can attribute you think oh well you know that acne issue I had in as a teenager I can see now that that was related to uh, good problems or is there anything like that or were you just one of those lucky kids that mm. managed to burn off all that sugar <laughs> yeah I guess um, as a kid I think um, there was a lot of sugar but there was a lot of good whole foods it was just you know we didn't have any packet packaged foods at home so um, I guess combined with the sugar was was good real food at home um, but then when I was training and just eating sugar, I think you, th you think you're getting away with it because you're fine for half an hour or 45 minutes and you think you've got energy. And it's, I guess you learn to be prepared to just have more sugar on hand and then you just top up again and, and so you feel you're fine. Um, and I guess I um, you know, felt I could get through training sessions and but it's, um, yeah, it's quite amazing. It was interesting because um, I guess a few years later um, when I was at a pool one day and I saw this guy sitting on the end of the pool just about to jump in for a swim with a Snickers bar, down in his Snickers bar and, you know, thinking, you know I've got, to, got some swimming to get through here. So, and I just thought it's probably not unlike, you know, I didn't sit on the end of the pool with a Snickers bar, but, uh, but you know, on our way to any training session, it was just load up with sugar and just give yourself that, that sort of, Mm. false hyper energy to sort of just go as hard and fast as you can and and then you knack it at the end and that's fine because you just you just refueled again so um yeah but with with no nutrition so it's mm. um yeah i i i guess in terms of getting away with it you sort of um yeah you did i look back now and i you know could have done things so much better I guess um and and then I probably look at then what happened to my health over the following 10 years and and you know maybe that was a contributing factor to then you know I was diagnosed with um Hashimoto's so an autoimmune thyroid condition probably about 10 years after that and and I do believe that's um you know there's a pathway to that and any autoimmune disease we've got to have certain elements of the gut and we've got to have leaky gut we've got to have you know if there's a genetic tendency which there certainly was um and then certain stresses um and you know I just you know had just fallen pregnant and and that was probably you know enough to sort of set that off mm. now you've brought up one of my favorite topics leaky gut uh, I remember when I first read about that I was like oh my god that sounds so horrendous there's no way I'll have that and then I obviously did have leaky gut can you tell us a little bit um for people who've heard it but they don't really understand what it is can you just give us a, just a quick rundown of, of what leaky gut is sure um one of the ways I do describe leaky gut is that um if we imagine that your intestines are like, you know, some lovely pantyhose, your sheer pantyhose. And so you've got sort of fine nutrients that should pass through. So in the small intestine is where we absorb all our nutrients. And um, so we do need those smaller broken down particles to, to actually um, transverse across that sort of membrane of the, or the, the lining of the gut. And there are a number of factors that will actually cause this 
membrane to become permeable. So what happens is those tight junctions don't become so tight. So those sheer pantyhose start to look like fishnet stockings. And then you get larger... to describe it. That is, the, <laughs> that is the best description I've, I've heard to date. That's great. Oh, well, I think I think because we can associate the two and think, ah, okay, so larger particles can then um, go across the membrane, which can be larger food particles that the immune system will recognise as potentially foreign, and that's where it sets up things like food sensitivities. So, yeah, it's, it's really just about there's, we either talk, call it leaky gut or intestinal permeability. So we sort of think about this membrane allowing bigger particles across the membrane that it shouldn't. Um, and in that process, it, it drives further leaky gut. And, and um, Alessio Fasano, who's sort of seen as the uh, godfather of gluten, he, um, he said in one of his um, uh, talks that I went to a few years ago is that you cannot have an autoimmune condition unless you have leaky gut or intestinal permeability. So um, that is one of the sort of first, um, I guess, gateways through to an autoimmune condition. Um, and as we know, there's lots of other factors. Stress is a big factor. Again, genetic tendency. But we know a lot more about this intestinal permeability and it's something we can talk about and within the broader sort of medical fraternity, it is something which is not seen as this sort of strange concept. Yeah, so becoming more and more mainstream, definitely. So um, what would you say that the, the most, the main contributors to leaky gut are, Ray? Okay, so again, going back to um, Alessio Fasano, he was the um, the gastroenterologist um, and I think, um, you know, if you are interested, you know, any um, listeners are interested in looking into this sort of leaky gut and autoimmunity, um, you'd probably find plenty of um, YouTube videos with Alessio Fasano talking about this. Um, he speaks very well and explains it well. But um, he, he says it's impossible to have leaky gut with, you know, without gluten. So gluten for these, I guess to go into a little bit more to explain it, what gluten does is causes the opening of these um, gut junctions through um, something called zonulin. So it just, it just initiates the opening. So gluten is one of the causes of leaky gut. Um, we know stress other chemicals, medications, antibiotics, by different pathways, and some of that might be sort of inducing SIBO, which is another significant cause of leaky gut. Um, so different food choices. Um, so that's probably, um, there's quite a few causes of leaky gut, um, but, but certainly the different um, diets, high-sugar diets, um, oral contraceptive pills, something that, that's taken all the time, um, other medications. Um, but the main ones I would say would be SIBO and uh, gluten. And really all of those things that you've just rattled off pretty much affect everybody in our generation. I think, yes, antibiotics, yes, contraceptive oh. pill, yes, stress. You know, it's like, yeah. so do, how many people does leaky gut actually affect, Ray? Is, is it really common or is it just one of those horrible things that's just limited to a few unlucky people like me and you? Well, I think, look, it's like as, as um, Dr. Fasano has said, you know, anyone who eats gluten has a leaky gut. So then we think, well, okay, okay. that's a majority of the population. But 
then the degree at which that intestinal permeability actually affects our health, I think, is, is quite varied. And I think you can look at some people that can have the presence of some sort of pathogen or, um, you know, bacteria. That, they can go on quite... They can have a virus and actually travel on quite healthy, not show any symptoms, and there are those that do. So there's probably all that un underlying unknown of what else is it that means one person can have, you know, this carry this same virus and not have any symptoms or, or health issues and another person does. And I think the same for leaky gut. I think that people can have leaky gut and then do they have other issues as well? You know, do they have an autoimmune condition? Do they have, um, you know, a... a a virus or where is their health at and that will then determine how much the leaky gut affects them I think it's I kind of like to um, explain it as a bit of a, a stacking effect and then you've got so you've got this high jump setup that most people can sort of imagine and that knocking off that bar is really that point of where, where you sort of tip over and have these um, some sort of health condition or, or have these symptoms and leaky gut can be one of those sort of blocks that, that sort of you, you climb up before you hit that bar. I mean, there can be stress and then there can be a virus and there can be food sensitivities, um, you know, toxic exposure, leaky gut, and then, it's, um, and then you knock off that bar. So for some other people who live a really healthy lifestyle and don't have that toxic exposure and haven't been exposed to certain viruses, have no stress in their life, but have just a little bit of intestinal permeability, it may not be such a problem for them mm -hmm. yeah so it really it really is um you know uh, dependent on on the individual and, and their circumstances but um when could you give us some examples of um people that you see in your clinic where when they do present with um leaky gut what are some of the signs that they might see themselves that that could be mm. indicators that they that they mm. have um intestinal permeability Sure. Well, one of the one of the things I like to, um, you know, particularly with skin conditions, and I do explain um, to clients that really the skin is their external gut, and so when we have that, you know, irritated skin conditions, whether we're looking at a allergic skin condition um, like eczema or dermatitis, or whether we're looking at acne or or some other skin condition, I do go back to the gut, and so we have a look at you know, if, if that leaky gut can be a factor there. Uh, the biggest thing we will see is food sensitivities. So most people, if they do come in and, and you know, have um, already started usually eliminating certain foods from their diet, finding oh, not really tolerating gluten well or feel really bloated every time I have a coffee. or So they're starting to knock off certain foods and taking more and more foods out of their diet because they're not feeling well. Um then there may be people that have no digestive symptoms at all but do present with autoimmune conditions, a diagnosed autoimmune condition. So um, in that case, I do automatically start to investigate leaky gut, even if they say they don't necessarily feel any um, digestive symptoms or discomfort. So, yeah, that, that would be the ones where I would start looking more towards this, um, the leaky gut and what we need to do there. So if, if people wanted to really protect their gut and um, keep away from leaky gut, what are the main things they could do to um, promote the health of their gut? Mm. 
It's a good question. So, um, look, I would say, yeah, I would say gluten would be the first thing I would take out. And I think that one of the really good things when you do take gluten out of someone's diet, and even if it's just, and it's, you know, some people say, well, what's the point if, you know, I'm not, I'm not celiac, you know, it's what's the point. And I think for a lot of people, if you just say, look, for the next three to four weeks, completely eliminate gluten from your diet. If that's all you do, just eliminate gluten. And you don't need to tell them to include other foods, but they will, you know, because all of a sudden if you can't have bread for breakfast and if you can't have, um, you know, wheat bix or, or regular cereals for breakfast, well, what are you going to have, you know? And all of a sudden their alternatives might be, say, scrambled eggs, throwing some spinach or, you know, they might have a smoothie or they might be having fruit salad. They do add more colour. So... You know, if you can't have cheese and crackers, what are you going to have? Well, they might have, oh, well, I'll have some avocado and I'll have some carrot or, you know, they will, by default, actually increase the range of foods that they have. And I think taking gluten out uh, does just, you know, it eliminates that easy food that we just get used to eating. So I think that it's a great way. Most people will come back after the month and say, oh, it's great, I found this new thing, you know, um, found this great recipe. They'll, they'll go and look for alternatives because they need to find things. So they come back and they've discovered new foods. And I haven't, I really haven't had anyone, no, I absolutely haven't had anyone who I've asked to go gluten-free and has come back and felt worse. So, you know, the degree to which that will improve someone's health condition is, is certainly going, going to vary. Um, but I think taking gluten out of the diet is the first thing that we need to do if we need to correct that leaky gut. So I guess we need to look at look, what do we take out. Um, certainly if there's an excess in, you know, tea and coffee, um, inflammatory foods, um, you know, even looking at some sort of other grains, some people might uh, be reacting to quinoa. So we, we find foods that they're reacting to. And I like to not only just, you know, look at what we take out, it's really important to look at what we can put in. So put in a lot of super foods and all the things that, um, you know, Really, I'd say you're the expert on there, Helen, at all the, the bone broths and all of the really nourishing foods for the gut. Um, yeah, so that's, it's, a, it's not just about taking the things out but putting things in. So I try to do that always with food. Um, but sometimes, you know, and I guess as a naturopath, we've got other things at our um, dispense where we can, you know, look at... Um, a, can use beautiful herbs to do that and use some lovely bitters to help stimulate digestive function to start getting their digestive enzymes functioning well and working and a good production there. Good amounts of um, hydrochloric acid or bile acids, all those things to really help their digestion. And we may introduce other things like glutamine, which I describe as the real lovely soothing glue for that inflamed gut. Mm. Um, so, yes, that's, and that's what I you know, in, a, in the simplest way like to do is take, take a little bit out, but um, certainly put a little bit in as well. Absolutely. And, and you know, Ray, like you said, when you take out those um, beige carbs in the form of gluten, that, you know, there's, there's not much nutrients in them that you can't find in other foods. Anyway, you then are forced to, you know, add other foods and it's really hard to find foods that aren't more nutritious. And, and, and like you say, if you, you're switching out your cheese and crackers and you're getting your carrots and your avocados and all those lovely foods that, that you, the, your body is also going to not just, um, you know, be free of gluten, but just get this massive 
nutrient bomb of just deliciousness as well. And and also just uh, I wanted to say about the gluten-free thing. I know that when I decided to go, go gluten-free, it was the most daunting thing in the whole world, but I've never, never thought, oh, my God, I really have to eat that slice of toast because how you feel gluten-free is worth, yeah, worth never touching gluten again it depending on your level of sensitivity of course you know yeah, like sure, people course. still yeah. enjoy a little bit now and again which is uh, yes. which is interesting so tell us a little yeah. bit about your your eating now you've already said it's a kind of a paleo way of eating um i'd love you to tell us a little bit more about that and to give us i love to have a plate perv at what other people are eating. So if you could give us a bit of a lowdown on what a typical rare day looks like, that would be really cool too. Okay, so um, so what was the first question, Helen? Before the plate perv, you, you, I was distracted. By yeah, I was like, <laughs> what, a funny, what a funny hashtag to start using. Um, I asked you what your, because right, I'm, I'm all for like everyone's got their own shade of paleo, right? I don't think one... Yes. Yes. You can't just say one diet suits everyone because, you know, of bio-individuality and we're all completely unique, which is exactly the same way of saying that. But um, so I was really, in, I, I know when we were having a little a chat before this interview, you were like, oh, well, you know, I'm not really fully paleo and I don't want to confuse your listeners. Yeah. And I said, actually, that is really refreshing and welcoming because you're a picture of health. Um, you definitely practice what you preach. And I'd love to, to, for you to share your version of paleo with the list right okay sure well I guess um from you know having Hashimoto's when I was first diagnosed that that was where I really started to look a bit deeper at what my options were and and where there was some evidence in reducing my autoimmune antibodies or improving um my Hashimoto's so that's where I that's the first time I went gluten-free and so there was a um Dr John Lee was a um a lecturer that I, I heard at the time who had showed a study that it was really a study that he conducted on some clients, um, patients of his, where he had looked specifically at their autoimmune antibodies and looked at different interventions he could use to reduce those autoimmune antibodies. And where he had the most significant impact in that was um, on a gluten-free diet. So that was a real eye-opener for me. And so I did my own um, personal study on that. I went and got my bloods done and checked my autoimmune antibodies. And then I went on a good, strict gluten-free diet um, for six weeks. And, yes, my autoimmune antibodies did come down. Um, I have experimented with a lot of things over that time to improve my thyroid function. And, and I've sort of really learnt the effect of stress on that um, and certainly with diet. So I guess... That was a really good way for me to know specifically exactly what gluten was doing to me mm. um, from that autoimmune perspective. So then I really try and most of the time when I'm in control of what I eat, I do eat gluten-free and I, I don't find it difficult. Um, particularly I have um, options like the lovely Prime Alternative Fructose <laughs> and... Um, Quick, let's yeah, and, into an infomercial. <laughs> yeah. And look, and, and I'm so lucky where we live because we have this most amazing um, pizza shop that also do stock the wonderful Primal Alternative bases as well as we've got another um, a great um, local, the Seraphine bread, the um, 
it's a true sourdough gluten-free and they have their bases there as well. So we've got lots of options. So if I want to go and get one of their wonderful pizzas, it just, you know, I don't have to eat gluten. Um, but I think it's really important. I mean, I'm lucky I'm not celiac, so I don't have to be um, that strict and concerned all the time. And if I'm going to someone's house for a meal, I don't have to, you know, I don't worry about, you know, going gluten-free or putting in any specific um, requests. So, and I just think that, that that's really important that you can just go out for a meal, wherever you go, don't worry about it. You know, where you can make the choice and you can choose gluten-free, great. But if it's not available, just to not stress about it. Because I really do think if you're stressing about it and you're stressed about what you're eating and stressed about making sure it's gluten-free, I, I just don't think, you're not going to absorb your nutrients well. You can't digest well when you're stressed. So if you are really stressed about the diet and, and keeping it, you know, 100% perfect all the time, I don't think that's the best way to actually absorb the most from your food. And, you know, I see plenty of people that, um, that do come in to see me and have what would be, you know, you could see as this perfect diet and they've got it all worked out and they're, you know, it might, might be mostly paleo but totally gluten-free and dairy-free and all organic and but to the point where it's actually a real stress for them and it's a real mm. stress to make sure that their kids are totally eating that way and everyone around them and, and they say, look, they don't go out because, you know, they can't be guaranteed of what they're going to be given. And, and I can already tell, and then that, that they still have digestive symptoms and they still have health problems and that's usually why they come in, they're frustrated as to why. And the stress is a really big factor there. Um, and I think going a bit deeper, if they do have problems with those foods, I think it's right. Let's, let's have a look. If it's not the food as such, if it is their digestive system, let's find out why it's causing the problem. Let's work how we can fix that. Mm. And also just relax a little bit and put good energy into what you eat and think about, you know, what you're going to get rather than, you know, think about the, the benefits of that meal. Um, you know, if you're, if you're trying to stay gluten-free and someone has made you this beautiful, lovingly produced vegetable lasagna and you can totally freak out about the fact that it's got gluten in it or you can think about all the beautiful vegetables that you're going to get from that, all of the love that's love it. into it and just, yeah. yeah, relax and enjoy the meal. And I think that if you do relax and enjoy it, chances are it's not going to upset you that much. And, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be right. And, and you know, it's, it's absolutely right. And, and what I find um, where a lot of, of my clients lose traction in their uh, primal journey is that they're, they're just focusing on, on food, you know. And um, I think it comes down to like there's four things, like this is your health on the top here and then you've got these like four props that are keeping it up and, and yet your food might be really good, but like if you're like totally stressed out about, you know, eating the vegetable lasagna, then your health's still going to be a bit shaky, whereas really it comes down to food, movement, lifestyle, and mindset. And, and, and there's a lot um, of people that have, have taken the primal paleo or any kind of um, you know, way of eating uh, to an extreme, and it's even got a name. It's called orthorexia where you know, it becomes uh, de a detriment to your health to, to be so strict. Mm. I mean, for example, like for me, because I've, I've got extreme gluten sensitivities, I couldn't eat the gluten, um, yes. the gluten lasagna, but like, but you could, but that would be all right. Cause if I did get there and it was, um, I couldn't have that. Well, I could just fast because I'm not going to drop down dead because I'm, I'm not on that sugar roller coaster anymore. And I love the, the best, the biggest, biggest message that you've got here is, is putting that 
positive energy into everything that you do and, and not making it a complete stress. And there are so many benefits that we can't even, you know, calculate about getting together for a social gathering, receiving a beautiful meal that somebody in your tribe has cooked for you. you those sorts of health benefits. How do you how do you measure those, you know, like, but yet we know we're social beings and we do our health is best when we, we work together and not when we're just eating up every single, preparing every single bloody meal and staying at home all the time. Like that's not a recipe for long-term success and, and happiness, is it really? Mm, yeah. And that's so true. And I don't want to discount for those people who really do need to be very careful when they do go out for a meal and and you can sort of choose those trusted places and good friends that really understand um you know the, the impact that can have if someone does become glutened or does have something that they can't eat um and then they can have that safe place that you go or they can say hey, how about i bring i contribute to the meal and i'll bring something <laughs> as well you know it's a way to sort of get around it but um you know i think that um yeah, thinking more about that abundance. Um, something I was going to mention as well before when I, I do get um, clients to, you know, do a bit of a food diary. So, and they might initially come with a food diary, um, you know, of, of what they're eating, which, which may be gl a gluten-containing diet. Um, and then what I often get them to do is I've got a, a little um, container of pencils there. So it may be adult or children's, and I get them to actually work through me and we colour in their meal. So it might be, so if they've had honey on toast, we, 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 we can't really add much colour to that. We'll put a little bit of yellow or brown or whatever. And, and you know, then there might be cheese and crackers or there might be, um, you know, a pasta or there might be, you know, some potato. Anyway, we, we go through the diet and colour it in. And then what we do is when they have gone gluten-free, we do the same activity again. And it's great because all of a sudden they picked up a blue pencil, you know, or they picked up an orange pencil or they picked up more green, you know, and to see the difference in that rather than think about, oh, yeah, it's, this is the gluten-free, it's what's not in there. It's all about, it's more about what is in there. And I think mm. that that's a nice way for people to just think about colour is nutritious yeah. and not about what they can't have but about what they are putting into their diet mm. um, as a result to just sort of yeah focus on what they not what they can't have but what they can have and then going back to healing that leaky gut it's all of those beautiful phytonutrients that play such a big role in actually healing the gut as well yeah that's awesome now let's touch on my three favorite uh paleoprimal gray area topics which can really like divide the room um and i'd love to hear what your thoughts are on them so i'll just hit you up with all three at once okay so uh, chocolate alcohol and coffee go all right so <laughs> that's why you're i think that's a great question because when I do, you know, work through someone's diet and we might take a few things out and put a few things in, they'll be the things that people are asking about. Yeah. So with chocolate, it might be as simple as actually, you know, a lot of people say, I'll do anything, just don't take all my chocolate. Yeah. So if we can then look at it and they're sort of having half a block of, you know, snack chocolate or, um, or whatever at night, if we can change it to dark, 
and say, you can still, how about if, I'll let you have the chocolate if we can change it to dark. And and so we'll meet a bit in the middle, you know, they say, I'm not going to go, you know, 90%, but I could just, you know, have one of the darker and, and less sugar. Great. Let's just start moving in that direction. And they're going to eat a whole lot less of it anyway. Um, and then you can... Like anything, you can find, you know, if you look hard enough, you can always find the health benefits to whatever you want to add in. And But there is an abundance of um, evidence in the science of the, the effects of cocoa on our blood sugars, of cocoa on, um, you know, brain health and focus and concentration. It's Cocoa is being put into supplements now for those reasons. And I think, but we've got to remember it is the cocoa, it is the chocolate so then we've got to think about, well, when we're eating chocolate, what are we having with the cocoa? Mm. So, you know, we just got to have a, I think it's just reading the label and if we can get minimal amounts of sugar and other rubbish in there, enjoy a little bit of chocolate because, Absolutely. you know, if it's so much stress to, to take it out, again, it's not, it's, it's not sustainable and if it means mm. someone can eat really, really well, if they have their little bit of chocolate, um, then that's great. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, like, like you say, you, people, do people, humans, we overestimate what we can achieve. Like it's just, we just totally overestimate it. And, and we think we can get so much done so quickly as well. So, you know, if you say, I'm never having, you know, like that day you have the hangover, you're like, I'll never drink again until you're feeling healthy again. And then of course you'll, you'll, of course you'll build like it's, so if you can include these lovely things in your life, but at a better quality and a, a lesser amount then like why not you know so like when you get in the 70 percent chocolate it's only 30 percent sugar and, and dairy and whatever else you know or if you can edge towards 90 percent, then it's 90 percent cocoa and only 10 percent the other stuff i really i still can't find any reason not to have 90 percent dark chocolate every day <laughs> yeah and look and in the same way i've um I can absolutely justify why coffee's okay. Um, and look, look, where coffee's not okay is, uh, you know, if someone says, oh, do I have to take out coffee? It's really, well, how much are you drinking? Why are you drinking it? Mm. Um, and, you know, and how do you have it? So really, how much are you drinking? If you're enjoying one cup of coffee in the morning and you're enjoying it, but you have it as part of your life because it's a ritual that you have with your partner or it's something you do to sit out watch the sunrise it's something you do to go and catch up with your friend or your mum or whatever enjoy that cup that's really important from a social perspective how you have it well you know I guess um there are so many ways you can have coffee now and it's really not the coffee it's everything else it's all the different milks and then it's the sugars and the flavors and everything else that that goes into it and the size of it as well so sometimes people might think they have a problem with coffee, but if we strip it back a little bit and have a look at the milk, are they having cow's milk? Do we want to swap it to an alternative? Are they having soy milk? And it's, that's no good for them and it's a, it's a highly processed um, food. Are they having an almond milk or a coconut milk? That would seem like a good alternative, but if you actually have a look at the panel, it's, it's again, a highly processed food. Mm. So have a look at how we can make that coffee. If it's still something I want to really enjoy, Let's make it um, something which um, sits well for them. Take out the sugar. Um, and then I sort of, yeah, how much? Obviously, if they're only having one, not a problem. If they're having four, five or six, then, yeah, we'll, we'll pull it back a bit. Um, and if it's not causing any problem for them, like if, it, you know, if they're not having issues with anxiety or issues with their gut or issues with sleep, 
then there's no real reason for them to not include it in moderation as part of something they enjoy during their day. Um, and the wine. Yay! You know, like, what great news! That's so awesome. And yeah. you know, like I see it quite a lot in my 21-day challenges. People who've been paleo for a long time, they they decide that they're going to quit coffee and alcohol for the 21 day challenge and I do like and they expect me to go oh well done and I, and I really feel like going why are you making it so bloody horrible for yourself like, when, if, you, if you're feeling well, good everything's working just keep doing what you're doing yeah and and Tony and that's um something that um often people will sit down in front of me in clinic and they say I know you're going to tell me not to drink alcohol and not to have coffee so why can't I do that why would I do that? And so, you know, uh, one thing I do ask people with their coffee is, how would you go without it? And a lot of people say, oh, I'm fine without it. I just actually really enjoy it. So if it brings joy, mm. have it. But a lot of people say, I need it to get through my day. And it's, it's a bit of a hint. We actually need to look at, you know, why, why they can't produce their own energy mm. without relying on, on the caffeine. So, mm. yeah. So... Coffee gets the tick too. Coffee gets the tick. I remember when I went, um, when I first started on my paleo journey, I had to actually get to like the taste of coffee because I think it was in um, uh, Dallas and well, I've forgotten her other name, the Hart, Hartmans, the ones that do the um, Whole30. I remember reading in their mm -hmm. book, is it like, do you like the coffee or do you actually like the sugar, dairy, thing that you're drinking that's also got a shot of coffee in there somewhere but my um my coffee of choice used to be um skinny of course because there's a lot of fat skinny mochas or it would be a skinny cappuccino with a sugar so basically and I used to drink the coffee um I used to have two a day and I was basically drinking them because I was starving right mm. um, but I didn't want to eat because you know I was counting my calories and that kind of thing but coffee was all right because dairy was good which yes, yes. is terrible, you know, and, and I now know now that dairy absolutely constipates me and doesn't cause me any health benefits at all. So um, it's mm. funny, isn't it, when you when you peel it all back, like I was having coffee for the wrong reasons, but now yes. I have a bulletproof uh, coffee with a little bit of cashew milk in and coconut oil every morning and it's just divine and it's beautiful organic coffee and it tastes like coffee not sugar and it's heavenly and that that works really good for me just that one i love it and i couldn't give it up so yeah. don't tell me to give it up Ray. <laughs> <laughs> you'll press delete <laughs> you're not going on youtube after all <laughs> okay what about alcohol that that old biggie yeah, excellent. Okay, so alcohol, um, I probably ask people the same questions as to why they're having it. And again, if it's part of a social ritual, that's great. If they're needing it, you know, and a lot of people do say, so I have that glass of wine and I need that at the end of the day. I need that to chill out. Um, then that's another reason that we actually look at the why rather than... Um, yeah, and, and address that, address that why, you know, stress is an issue. And, and once we address stress, do they actually just give up the alcohol? So they weren't actually enjoying it, but they just felt they needed it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so, so moderation. Um, look, I think if we look at things like, um, you know, with health and longevity and things like the um, blue zones where they've looked at these areas of the world where people are not just living to an old age, but they've got these people that live to centenarians, they, um, but they're healthy and they're still involved in the community and, and great sort of mental health and physical health. 
and they've looked at what are some of the consistent things amongst these people. And one of them, look, alcohol was in there. They they had alcohol as part of their diet and it was a social thing. It was in moderation. I think it was actually specifically red wine. So we then looked at the um, like the phytonutrients, um, you know, resveratrol. There are absolutely benefits. But for some people... They can't have any. They, you know, a little bit of alcohol causes a lot of problems for them and, and they know that. So I just think, again, you know, people could sort of uh, read the information that, you know, the positive benefits of alcohol and if they know instinctively it's not good for them, uh, then to take it out. So, again, in moderation, look at the why. Um, I then say to people, you know, if you could no alcohol for a week, how would you go? And if people think, look, that, that's fine, that's not a problem, or if people think they'll really struggle, I think then they'll look deeper at the, um, I guess, the reason why they're consuming mm. it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you run a very successful clinic and you have been running one for many years now. Um, the people that come into your clinic, if we could just take like a, a fly on the wall look at what um, sort of symptoms people are presenting with most, what would you say that they were? I think for the, probably reasons of my own personal interest with SIBO and gut health and thyroid, I think people, you know, then do gravitate towards a practitioner, um, whether they know that's my area or whether they just... Um, they just do. So um, I do see um, a lot of thyroid issues um, and I do see a lot of digestive issues. Um, more and more um, SIBO issues as well. And I guess maybe part of that is, you know, we look at things like irritable bowel and we know now that SIBO is a big driver for that. And SIBO has, SIBO or SIBO, as um, which is the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, is something we know a lot more about, but it's only quite new that we're able to um, really get a good, accurate test for that. So, and I guess once we can um, test and once we know um, more effective treatments, it just becomes something that... Um, we can work with more effectively. So I think digestive issues and thyroid, um, but I would have to say even in a lovely, relaxed town, uh, stress is a big one. So um, stress and then if that flows on to sleep issues or anxiety or mood disorders. But, um, yeah, very rare that I do see someone that stress doesn't play some sort of impact in their life. Mm, yeah wow that is it's it's so prevalent isn't it um mm. so if people are listening to this podcast and they're like wow Ray is awesome well she is um you know you are my naturopath when I started on, on my journey and you know everything that you've talked about you, you did with me and it was extremely successful and um, there was a period of time there where I did have to I went on a bit of a liver detox with you and I did have to quit the chocolate and the coffee and the wine but it was only for a brief period of time and just kind of just, you know, it was a bit of a reboot for my sluggish system. And now I do enjoy those three wonderful things um, in my life. And I, the reason I like to work with Ray so much is that um, it's very, it's, Ray's very practical in terms of giving you things that you actually can stick to and, and it doesn't make it so absolutely horrendous and, and awful and, and just adding in good things, not just focusing on taking it out, out the bad things so if you really are liking Ray's vibe and you want to work with her Ray tell us how can we get in touch with you 
Okay, so I've, probably first the easiest is my website. Um, so that's raypowers.com.au. And there's an easy way to um, book on the website. Um, so a lot of my appointments do get booked online or there's a number there to call the clinic. Um, and so I do um, consults with people, obviously, in clinic, um, in Denmark, also in Albany, um, but through the nature of Skype, you know, there's, it doesn't matter where someone is, they're still sitting there in front of you. So I do do appointments um, with a number of clients around Australia. Um, and I look, I always like to, it's probably a good opportunity to let people know that, you know, as a naturopath, I really do believe that, uh, you know, any naturopath um, is not an alternative to, you know, a good medical practitioner. It's um, probably my advice to people would be, I think a naturopath is a really important part of your health team mm. and people just need to get a good team together yeah. get a great gp who's really happy to working with your naturopath get a naturopath who's really happy to communicate with your gp um and you know and and really form that team that works for you and whether that's needing a good a counselor or a chiropractor kinesiologist massage therapist you know and, and those good practitioners should have a good network that they can help refer you to for, for your needs because if there is any practitioner that think they can do it all um, I think that's where you sort of realize that you, you're probably with the wrong one and I think that um, so I love to work integratively with other practitioners um, and and you know and likewise I like to make sure that I've got other health practitioners that are happy to communicate and working with me because mm. I can't do it all. Mm. And as an naturopath, we can't, we don't diagnose, but we can absolutely work with a diagnosis and a really good medical practitioner to bring the best health out in a person and, you know, spend that extra time and, and you know, and just help put the pieces together with, with mm. people's health. Yeah. It's so stressful. Yeah, and just to help people feel like they're not going crazy and, you know, like it's, mm. you know, there's, there's quite a lot of things that um, can sometimes fly under the radar um, in the conventional uh, medical system um, that mm. naturopaths can, you know, point out and, 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 you know, just knowing that you're not going crazy is like, a massive thing in terms of your health and I love that I love that you're um, suggesting a health team because I think that's so important you know you do need to have a good GP that you're confident with you do need to have a good naturopath that you can you can turn to when you need to and you know massage therapists are very important in my health team and a chiropractor and um, you know whatever you need uh, oh and also and also a coach the health coach yeah you know and absolutely and it's, you can do, what I've learned just recently actually is you can do so much on your own, you know, like with good food and movement and spending time in nature, et cetera, et cetera. But it's okay to ask for help when you need it, you know, like you don't need to just struggle on. And it, and it is great to have those numbers of those people that you can call on, you know, like I did the other week with you, Ray, and I was like, oh, my God, I've just got this cold. I just can't shake it. I don't have time to come for an appointment, but can you just do me a tonic? And you did one up and I had it the next day and, you know, the next day I was, like, instant. I just needed those those extra, that extra support at that time. Um, and that's okay, you know. You, you, everybody yes. gets sick from time to time. It's not about getting sick. It's about, you know, making sure you can get better again. And, and so, yeah, I love, I love that aspect of the health team. So thank you, Ray, for being on the podcast today. I'm so grateful. Thanks for sharing all of your wisdom. And Kelsey, 
Kel's surprised that we ended up on your favorite topic, gut health, because um, it wasn't necessarily, we didn't say, let's do, a, let's do a podcast all about leaky gut, but you know, that is, that's where we kind of ended up. And that's obviously what you needed to share today. So thank you. Yes, and uh, probably um, my, my other way that people can follow, which might just um, really point towards um, my balance side, is um, I do have an Instagram page, which is um, Naturopath Running on Gin. And I do have a few people that ask what that's all about. Um, I do love my gin. Um, you do? It was, yes, and I do a lot of running. And so, and I, I enjoy running. My, naturopath, my um, Instagram page used to be, Naturopath on the run, and a friend thought it was pretty funny to change that to Naturopath on the gin, and <laughs> then, that's then it um, it got changed to running on gin. So yeah, I don't run exclusively on gin. <laughs> um, I enjoy a nice gin. You used to run. You used to run on sugar, and now it's gin. That's a good. That's a good. Exactly. Yeah, you feel. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, that just really makes you. You know that you're real. You know, like you, yes, you run mm. and you're healthy. And you enjoy a, a good quality gin. I think that's that's yeah. a really nice balance. I love that. Love that. So thank you, Ray. That's what we get on, Helen. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we're very similar <laughs> <laughs> in our approach. I like wine, though, not gin, in case anybody's thinking yeah, of any bottles. I can go there too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, before we wrap up today, I just wanted to say that if you did want to try um, a 21-day uh, challenge with me where you might want to um, try the Primal Lifestyle, quit gluten, see how you feel, then please head to my website, which is at primalalternative.com. Head to Health Coaching and you'll find a link to the 21-day challenge there and come and try it for yourself. But that's all from Ray and I today. So thank you once again for being on the show um, and I'll catch you again soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Helen. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, just wanted to wish you a happy new year. Thank you so much for being here. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you more in the new year and to bring you some amazing inspirational guests. I'm so grateful to have um, these 21 podcast episodes um, on the Wellness Couch. Such an honor to be with such a crew of other amazing podcasters. So let's have a cheer for 2018. All the best to you and lots of love. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.